Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about empowering couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. I'm Kristen Cornett, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of an online fertility practice called Tiny Feet. I work with women and couples all over the world to optimize their health and fertility so they can build the families they've always dreamed of. You can learn more about me on my website at tinyfeet.co. Thanks so much for tuning in with me today. Before we get started, I just want to share a couple of awesome free resources that can help you move forward on your journey. First is the free Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant quiz that will ask you about symptoms in five areas of health that are foundational to fertility and provide you with some practical tips on how to get started addressing each area. Next is the free mini course on how to choose the best prenatal supplements, which walks you through the specific nutrients you need to support your fertility and a healthy pregnancy, and how to find high quality supplements to meet your needs. And lastly, if you're wanting more individualized advice for where to go next on your journey, or you're thinking that you'd like to work with someone one-on-one, you can go ahead and schedule a free 20-minute phone consult with me. You can find links to all three of these resources through the link in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 80, and today I'm going to be interviewing yoga instructor, registered psychotherapist, and founder of Yoga Goddess, Zara Haji. We talk about how yoga and meditation can support you on your fertility journey, and why it's so important to be incorporating a mind-body practice when you're trying to conceive, especially if you're struggling to get pregnant. Throughout the interview, you'll learn about the science behind how trauma and negative beliefs or conditioning can impact our ability to conceive and how meditation can help us through these issues. What research is saying about fertility success rates when a mind-body practice that combines yoga and meditation is included in the treatment plan. More about Zara's Moon Goddess online program and how a kundalini yoga practice specifically supports hormone balance and the pituitary gland what it means to cycle with the moon, the different types of moon cycles, and the different energies we feel during different phases of our menstrual cycles, and why it's important for us to heal our relationship with our bodies, embrace our femininity, and believe in our power to create life. So I'll go ahead and introduce you to Zara, and we'll get started on the interview. Zara Haji is the yoga goddess, and Moon Goddess is her baby. Moon Goddess is a cycle-harmonizing, fertility-enhancing yoga and meditation program practiced by women in over 25 countries. It's the first online fertility yoga program of its kind, helping 50% of clients conceive. Zara is also a registered psychotherapist and women's reproductive health and fertility coach, helping women address the often left-out psychological and emotional aspects of infertility. If you want to learn more about how Zara and Yoga Goddess can help you conceive, visit yogagoddess.ca. You can also find links to Zara's website, social media, and online program through the link in this week's episode description. Enjoy the interview. All right, welcome Zara Haji. Thank you so much for joining me today on Mastering Your Fertility. Thank you so much, Kristen. Absolutely. So why don't you start by sharing with the audience just a little bit more about your background and how you came to be a yoga teacher and a fertility coach? Well, it's a long and funny story. (laughs) Um, Essentially, I started doing yoga when I was 18, so many moons ago. And um, when I was in my late 20s, I came upon a yoga school where a particular yogi, Akal, 
uh, considered, was considered the master of numerology and I went to see him. And in our meeting, he said to me, you are a teacher. And I said, no, I work in marketing. Um, and he said, no, Zara, I'm telling you that you are a teacher. And I said, mm, well, you know, I've been thinking about doing yoga teacher training to like do some classes after work. What do you, what do you think? And he's like, Zara, you're in a yoga school talking to a yogi and you're asking me if you should do yoga teacher training. <laughs> and said, yeah, I kind of, I get the point. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it sort of happened out of nowhere. And um, I had never heard of Kundalini yoga really before that. Uh, so I showed up, you know, the first day of training and there was this chanting and these exercises that I'd never done before. And I was like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? And I quickly realized that the difference between a Kundalini yoga practice and a more, you know, regular conventional hatha yoga or you know vinyasa yoga practice was the real power of healing that happened through kundalini yoga something i've never experienced before um fast and powerful and deep kind of healing that brings things up from from the deep inside up to the surface and um yeah it was an intense and incredible process uh, and then when I decided to start teaching I really wanted to make sure that people felt like they had a strong and safe container for this kind of work because it is powerful and because it does stir things up and if you have when you have a strong container for a practice that is powerful you have powerful transformation and powerful healing that goes alongside of it with it. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, you know, I think yoga is such an incredible mind body modality because you really are like tapping in deep, you know, when you're doing it and especially the type of yoga that you're talking about and what you're teaching in your practice for sure. Yeah. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. So let's start out today talking a little bit about this idea of like belief and connection to the body. And, you know, one of the things I see a lot in this community and women that are dealing with fertility struggles is some really strong and often really negative beliefs about our bodies. And so how are those really impacting fertility? Well, there's actually been a study um, that... I don't remember exactly the source, but I think it was out of Harvard um, that actually demonstrated that when a woman increases her positive affect score, she's 90% more likely to succeed with fertility treatments. That's huge. That's it's, a huge number. It's crazy. Wow. So just that in itself speaks volumes uh, to what your mental, emotional well-being, um, how it affects your actual ability to not just become pregnant, but to feel okay inside, to feel regulated. Yeah. Um, and so many women who are on, I mean, if you just think about uh, the diagnosis of infertility has the same 
impact psychologically as a diagnosis of cancer. Yeah. Has the same psychological impact. So essentially it's devastating. Um, and the way that impacts your uh, limbic system is it's basically sending your brain and your body into a place of um, panic. Fight and flight, as you know, most of us are aware of, is, is the response to danger. And essentially, when a woman feels like she's being threatened um, by you know, her own, essentially, it feels like your body is working against you. So the, the negative thoughts that a lot of women have is like, my body is broken, um, I'm being punished, I must have done something wrong, um, you know, like I'm being, um, what's the word, like uh, kind of forsaken by God and the universe. Like there's so many variations on the negative thinking, which is not so much I really want to make sure that people don't think that it's your fault that you're having these thoughts because it's actually a byproduct of the way the brain is perceiving the danger. Mm -hmm. And it is very much linked to trauma. I'm also a, a psychotherapist, a trauma-based psychotherapist. So um, when I look at a woman's mental emotional health, when it comes to a diagnosis of fertility, I'm also looking at how it's how she's interpreting the threat and if it's being registered by the brain and body as like a traumatic event. So a woman, for example, who's gone through many years of failed treatment cycles or many miscarriages or simply just years and years of trying without uh, having a successful pregnancy, all of those outcomes can actually be perceived as traumatic to a woman. So negative thinking is simply a byproduct of that experience of trauma. Um, and of course, when we think something's not possible, we believe that it's not possible, it's really difficult for us to create a reality that is different from that. Because if, you know, I also work very much in the realm of, you know, let's call it uh, energy work or psycho-spiritual work, the law of attraction, that kind of realm of work. And like attracts like. So if we inside uh, feel um, forsaken, like we're being punished, like we're broken, then it's really difficult for our realities to not match what our beliefs are. So now it becomes difficult though, if you're in a trauma response, you can't just somehow magically suddenly decide you're gonna change your negative thoughts into positive thoughts. It simply doesn't work that way. Your brain won't let you do that. So a lot of, and so why Kundalini Yoga and the practice that I like that I use the moon goddess practice. What I like about that practice for a woman who, for example, doesn't want to go into psychotherapy because that's a much longer, uh, long-term process of working with uh, the body and the brain, a practice that kind of bypasses um, 
in a way, the psychology of what's happening and works more with the healing energy of the body. And you're still working with the healing energy of the brain, but you're not necessarily working at the level of cognition as you would in a therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. Of course, you want to do that work after. And so what I do in the program is I give weekly emails. So there is mindset pieces and exercises that do um, engage cognition because you eventually do want to change your thoughts, obviously. Um, but first you want to address that there's this real feeling of disconnect with the body. And I always tell everyone, you can't make a baby through your mind. It's not a thought process that creates a child. It's your body that creates a child. Now, if you feel disconnected and disempowered from the actual vehicle that's going to create the baby, then I don't know how you are planning to be successful in pregnancy without literally a connection to your body that feels safe, that feels positive, at least somewhat um, warm. You know, it's like calling a friend from university, your college roommate from 20 years ago and saying, hey, I'm moving tomorrow. Can you help me? The person's going to be like, who are you and why are you calling me? <laughs> right? And so, like, why do you think your body should be any different if it's a, a part of yourself that you feel completely disconnected from, you don't actually like very much, you don't feel like is really on your side or supporting you, now, why would your body be all of a sudden your best friend? It's, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So we really need to do that, that work of reconciliation with our bodies, with our minds. And it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't all of a sudden write affirmations and poof, all of a sudden everything's better. It does not work that way. It's a process slowly of changing resonance, of uh, feeling more warmth towards oneself, of sen sensing that there's actually something good about you and your uterus and your ovaries and your menstrual cycle, all of those aspects of the feminine being that in so many ways we've found uh, have been denigrated through our lives or made negative in some way or shameful there's so much shame around the female body that we've inherited just from like first menstruation to like our sexuality to then infertility layered on top of that. We have a lot of baggage when it comes to the female body. Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to bring that up. You know, what you're talking about, about this kind of sense of disconnect and lack of, um, I guess, kind feelings and positive feelings toward the body. I mean, so much of that starts really early on. And, you know, for instance, a lot of us were placed on birth control when we were really young before we had a chance to really even connect with what our like typical normal cycle would even look like. And it was because of painful or disruptive symptoms that were causing issues in our lives. And so we learned early on, like, we don't trust this process. It's painful. It's dangerous. It's shameful. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that really kind of cultivates, especially for women who have experienced symptoms from early on, that cultivates that sense of disconnect or that discord with the body uh, and the lack of connection that we later feel. And then we want to just like suddenly turn that on when it's time to have a baby. And it's incredibly difficult to do that. Mm -hmm.
And then there are people like me who have dealt with just chronic health issues, you know, from a very young age, just being on like way too many antibiotics, having a dysregulated immune system, just a lot of issues. And so you just have an inherent distrust, not even just of the female parts of your body, but of all of the parts of your body. Yeah. And it starts to become hard to, to reconnect and trust and understand that, you know, circumstances were not ideal and your body rather than being broken or not taking care of you has actually been compensating for some of those things the best way that it can. That's been really transformative for me is to recognize that the symptoms I'm experiencing are my body doing its very best to keep me alive under the circumstances. Yeah. And that's really what trauma does to the body is it throws off all these different processes and, you know, this limbic system, like trauma loop that we're stuck in is really doing its best to keep us alive. It's trying to sense like danger and, and problems. And what of course happens in that situation is reproduction is one of the first things kind of to go. Exactly. Yeah. And I love your, the way you framed it because it is your body and your brain doing the absolute best that it can. And when we shift that from that perspective of being kind of on the receiving end of like a bad deal to changing the perspective of like, wow, my body's working overtime to compensate, to try and make the best out of a difficult situation and have some compassion. It really shifts everything because it's in that place of warmth um, that healing happens. And that's it from a psychotherapeutic perspective. That's from a like a lived perspective i think anyone who's practiced any kind of yoga or meditation uh and and felt a positive resonance really changes that perception of warmth towards the self and so you're not your enemy you're your own friend and that's really the starting point of healing absolutely so let's talk about meditation for a second. I find that in my practice, this tends to be one of the least comfortable recommendations that I make to people. And so, you know, I'll usually start out with just like, okay, three minutes a day, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. But I think it's really hard for some people to understand how that practice can really significantly improve their fertility. It doesn't feel the same uh, level of tangibility as like, okay, I'm going to take the supplement or I'm going to change my diet or I'm going to exercise more or exercise less depending on what the situation might be. So kind of talk a little bit more about meditation and how important that is to be cultivating a practice like that when you're going through fertility struggles, especially. Yeah. So when we think about like traditionally, meditation was always supposed to come after a yoga practice. So the whole idea of uh, meditation is that you want to have a quieted mind. But if there is all this agitation in the system, that's really difficult to achieve. So the whole, I, the whole point of yoga from a traditional perspective, obviously from our Western perspective, it's a little bit different. But from a traditional perspective, the whole point of yoga was to prepare you for meditation. So that still holds true, um, but there's a lot more benefits as well. Like we're not just looking for enlightenment when we're doing meditation, we're actually looking to change um, the circuitry of the brain. Uh, we're looking to change that uh, response, the fight flight, and there's three other actual defense uh, mechanism responses that come, uh, freeze, 
submit and attach cry, which we won't, doesn't really necessary, it's not really necessary to get into, but the point is when, when the body and the brain are um, perceiving danger, you're, you actually lose connection to the prefrontal cortex of your brain. So now all of a sudden, the amygdala and the limbic system are in charge and it's a re that's the stress response in its worst, like, um, you know, what, what it's doing to the body, it feels terrible. So what we want to do with yoga, ideally combined with meditation, is to bring that resting state of hyper arousal or anxiety is usually how we talk about it, and the stress down to a place where now we're not living at this heightened state of stress all the time or hyper arousal that we bring that arousal down to a place where we actually feel like we can think and feel at the same time. So when we're in a deep, like uh, stressful situation, you really can't think and feel at the same time. You feel kind of out of control. Yeah. So the point of meditation is to bring yourself back into a place where you actually feel like you're in the driver's seat of what's happening inside and you can make decisions, not from a place of pure emotionality, but from a balanced place inside where you can kind of have access to rational thinking. You can have access to the emotional feedback. You can have access to the body response. So a mind-body practice really starts to bring all of those things um, into harmony, into working together inside, and you need all of it, right? But to, to launch into a meditation practice, even if you, know, you say to someone, okay, just do three minutes of breathing, that's hard if you have no basis um, and you haven't actually calmed the body physically first, you'll notice that it's a big difference when you do some body work first, even if you just do exercise first and then sit for meditation, you've kind of worked out some of that agitation inside the body, then it's easier to settle and sit quietly for three minutes. And the other thing that I want to mention is different kinds of meditations have different levels of difficulty. So the more idle you are, in meditation, the harder it is if you have no prior experience with meditation, right? So if you tell someone, oh, just focus on your breathing, that's like, that's like telling someone, okay, just do a 20-kilometer run. They've never run before. Like, it's going to be really not, it's not going to feel good, right? It's going to be really hard and taxing. But if you give an active meditation, those are a lot easier. So the meditation practice that I use in the Moon Goddess program, it, it combines um, a hand position, so moving your fingers in a particular way, it combines a breath, and it combines a mantra. So you have a lot to do to keep your mind busy, which makes a, a real difference for a beginner to, to meditation. Because when you're thinking about all these things and doing all these things, you have less sort of that chatter in your mind going, oh, I'm bored, or oh, this is not working or, oh, am I doing this wrong? Am I, what's the point of this? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of that is what comes up when you tell a beginner to sit and breathe for three minutes. But if you give them a few things to do 
And then after the, the meditation practice that's more active, you'll notice that your mind is quiet and that's what you're looking for. But you can't get there without any kind of like muscle memory beforehand. So just like you wouldn't launch into a 20K run with no muscle memory, you won't launch into a, a successful meditation practice without any kind of muscle memory is you know, the way I like to think of it. Yeah, I can relate to the fidgety problem. Um, when I first started meditating, I'm like, this is really hard. Like I can't sit still. And I did find that doing, doing a practice like that after some sort of movement or with some sort of movement, I just, I'm one of those busy brain people. And it was really important for me to be able to incorporate some level of movement. And if I felt like the point of the exercise was to stay still, then I would be like judging myself if I needed to move or wanted to move. So I think that's really cool that you have incorporated some of those things to make it easier for the busy brain people. Cause those are the people that need this the most, but it's also the people that it's hardest to convince that this is a good idea. Um, and they do tend to be, we do tend to be a little bit judgmental of ourselves starting out a practice like that. Yeah. And that's tough, right? Because you want to get it right. Uh, and we want to do our best. Um, and then it's hard when we feel like we're failing in a yet another thing, right? And fertility can feel already like such a failure of being a woman. And that's so painful. So we really don't. And, and that's why in the practice that I um, prescribe, it's like you do it at the level that works for you. We have actually three different practice schedules. And the idea is that you want to do something that feels good, not because you are trying to be perfect at it, not because you have to add yet another thing to do to your fertility regimen, but because you want to nurture a, a better feeling sense inside of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important. Whether this ultimately ends up being the one thing that gets you pregnant or not, it absolutely cannot hurt and it would be incredibly supportive even of other modalities. So I'm sure that you have clients that go through this program that are seeking out conventional fertility treatment and really just looking to prepare themselves. And the success rates are fairly impressive, aren't they? Yeah. So especially for a woman who's, um, actually I find for both, whether you're doing IVF or natural conception, um, almost 50% of my clients conceive when they incorporate, and that's um, in a line, it's aligned with a study that came out of, um, I think it's where Alice Domar works. So I think the Boston University or Health Center, I can't remember exactly the source, um, where they looked at success rates of women with an average of three years of infertility when they incorporated a mind-body practice uh, that includes yoga, meditation, and some kind of cognitive uh, behavioral kinds of therapies, they saw a 50% success rate um, amongst those that have had a three-year average of infertility, and whether that was natural conception or assisted reproduction. Um, so that's consistent with what I see with my clients. Was it unexplained infertility or was it across different diagnoses? It was unexplained? unexplained. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting and, and really fascinating. And you know, this is, this is the sort of thing that most doctors 
would not bring up. This isn't really something that they would mention. And, you know, even in, even in my like functional health and functional medicine type of training, it's still something that's glossed over a little bit like that, that mind body connection. That's something that I've really had to dig into and learn on my own. It's not something that I've gotten a whole lot of like formal education on. And so, you know, I've learned that just because of how important it's been for me and the clients that I'm attracting are attracted to me because of my story. So I'm attracting people that have a similar background to me. So I'm like, well, this is important for me. It's probably going to be important for a lot of the people that are wanting to work with me. And it's great to have resources and people like you that are putting out programs that are accessible, especially during this time um, when it's hard to go places and it's hard to go see different types of healers and stuff. And so the ability to do something like this online remotely is really awesome. So share a little bit more about the program, the Moon Goddess program that you created and talk a little bit more about that Kundalini yoga and really what that's doing to like the brain and the pituitary and how that's helping us like reprogram some of these disconnects that we're talking about. Sure. So first thing, uh, the first thing I'd like to sort of highlight is um, if we go back to our connection to our menstrual cycle um, and our feminine selves, that's really at the heart of what Moon Goddess is about, is healing that disconnect, um, that inherited shame, that you know, inherited sort of patriarchal perspective on women's bodies and menstrual cycles that we all unfortunately inherited. They're gross, uh, disgusting. Uh, a lot of women unfortunately have had really difficult, painful, periods as young women like you mentioned so that like right from a young age the the birth control pill was prescribed as a way to manage and I'm sure you know as a functional medicine um, practitioner that that's just a band-aid solution and actually does nothing to actually solve and heal the underlying condition that's creating that particular problem so when when we look at fertility, we have to kind of peel back all of these layers that have been layered on top from years of not being able to solve the underlying problem. So that has created, again, hurt, uh, a negative feeling, a sense of like betrayal, uh, maybe even a hatred towards uh, being a woman in a woman's body, all kinds of things. And so part of the healing is to kind of look at what, what's been layered on top for you around your relationship with your womb and your menstrual cycle. And how do we create um, sort of a reconciliation from in that disconnect. So the way that I approach that, because for me, when I learned about that women's menstrual cycles mirror the phases of the moon, it was life-changing for me to realize that we're part of a larger cycle, whether it's the moon or the seasons, uh, the natural cycles of the earth are all mirrored in our bodies. And that when we look at the hormonal changes that happen in a woman's cycle from 
the follicular phase to the luteal phase to the menstrual phase, that that natural rise of estrogen creates that sense in the body of like freshness and newness. Like when your period finishes, it's like you have generally this burst of energy. I feel like I'm myself again. A lot of women will say all of a sudden, like you can button, like zip up your skinny jeans and there's no problem, right? And all of a sudden you feel like that sense of like, oh, you're back, you're, you're yourself. And, and that's mirrored through like, I think of springtime and the blossoming of springtime after a long winter, just like the period is like a long winter of like dark and inward and not a lot of movement. All of a sudden there's this renewal in the springtime. So the body has this natural process that mirrors the seasons. And so when you have ovulation, it's like the blossoming of the summertime and there's abundance and there's lots of energy and that your fertility is at its peak. And then there's that fallow of the fall where you know the, the leaves start falling off the trees. There's a sense of quieting, a sense of going inward, maybe more seriousness. We go back to school. Um, and then cycling back into winter. So that's, you know, premenstruation is the fall kind of season. Um, and then withdrawing again into the hibernation of winter is that period. So when I first came upon this information, it was life-changing for me because I'm like, oh, I'm not psycho, I'm cyclical. And it's my period. So for a lot, when I first started teaching Moon Goddess, my focus was not on fertility. I really wanted to help women realize there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, the fact that we're not linear and we're not the same all the time like men, there's an actual rhyme and reason for it, and it's mirrored all around us through nature and through the moon. And so that for me was revolutionary. But I found that the women who are coming to my classes were women who the women who were interested in their menstrual cycles were the women generally who were trying to heal something. And a lot of those women were trying to heal infertility. Um, and I found that, you know, weeks later I'd get emails saying, Oh, you know, it's been three years. I've been trying to get pregnant and I'm pregnant. Or I did the 40 day meditation practice and I'm pregnant. So I was like, Oh, okay. Wow. So clearly <laughs> when we heal our relationship, yeah. Right. When we heal our relationship with our menstrual cycle, and that disconnect, there's, there's a response. The body responds. Um, and the meditation practice that I focus on, it's both the yoga and meditation practices based in kundalini yoga. Um, and kundalini yoga specifically targets, um, or this practice, I should say, targets the pituitary gland, which is the master gland of the endocrine system. And essentially is sort of responsible uh, to send the signal. So there's the hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axis that, you know, we all want to be optimizing the functionality of when it comes to optimizing fertility. So when that signal gets sent to the ovaries uh, to create follicles and to the uterus to shed or uh, create the lining, all of that is connected into this particular, you know, feedback loop from the brain to the body. So 
you know, we come back to, it's very much a mind body uh, experience. We, we can't just get pregnant from thinking about it. We have to, obviously the conversation is happening with the body. So it's so important to make sure that that feedback loop is working optimally. And specifically when it comes to fertility, you know, we're looking at, uh, for a lot of my clients, you know, I've had women say that their FSH levels went down. Um, there, some women have even reported that AMH has gone up. Uterine lining results have improved, especially when they're looking at uh, like uh, FET, uh, the transfers. Before a transfer, you want your lining to be a particular thickness. So uh, women have reported that that's been different. Um, and for women who are naturally trying to conceive naturally, again, for a woman who, you know, I've had several clients who've been through rounds of IVF, rounds of IUI, have spent over $50,000. And within three months of doing a practice, like moon God the Moon Goddess practice, and healing their relationship with their the way they perceive their cycle and what I call your goddess energy. So the hormonal changes that happen uh, every month that they've conceived naturally after the average is around three months. Um, and like for me, that's astounding when you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on scientifically proven fertility treatment. Um, and somehow when you, activate that healing process of your own body mind that that pregnancy even after 40 can happen naturally for you yeah that's really powerful and just something that we're not taught can happen from a conventional medical perspective and you know obviously fertility doctors and obgyns they're doing their best with the information that they have but i think there is an element of physiology that's missing in how the brain really impacts that entire process and that we do have the ability to impact the brain and how it is communicating with the reproductive system and that's just a, a really powerful intervention that that isn't being addressed. And I think for a lot of women, you know, they're going to healthcare professionals looking for answers as to why they can't conceive and they'll get some of this kind of doom and gloom information that really solidifies their belief that they can't conceive naturally or that it's unlikely that they will, or they're too old. You know, in the case you're talking about women getting pregnant over the age of 40, that idea that like, oh, I'm over 35 and my ovaries are aging. And if I don't go to IVF right now, I'm not going to get pregnant. And even just going into a procedure like IUI or IVF with that sense of fear, like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, then I'm never going to get pregnant on my own. It's so damaging to the entire process. And so having something that allows us to step outside of that a little bit and really figure out how to heal that relationship with our reproductive system from the brain uh, this is just really cool that we have the ability to do that. Yeah. 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 So I guess from there, I just want to touch on this really quick since I think some women might not be familiar with the idea of cycling with the moon. Can you explain like what that means and what the different moon phases are, how that kind of matches up with the menstrual cycle? You've mentioned a few things like the different phases, but like, what does it mean to be like a red moon or a white moon? Mm -hmm. Sure. So those are the two traditional cycles that women, um, you know, when, when we only had moonlight and sunlight, 
generally speaking, women followed one of two cycles, the white moon cycle or the red moon cycle. And traditionally, the majority of women followed a white moon cycle because the majority of women's lives were dedicated to a husband and to a family. And so the white moon cycle is sort of symbolic and it's considered uh, the cycle of the good mother. And what that means is that traditionally women who cycled with the white moon, which means that you got your period with the dark moon and you got, and you're, you're ovulating with the full moon, which is a mirror of the fertility cycle of the earth. So the earth, the soil of the earth is actually most fertile uh, with the full moon. So there are farming practices in Europe called biodynamic farming, where they actually plant certain crops by the full moon. And you can go to a grocery store and buy biodynamic, like the label is there. And you know that it means it was planted by the full moon. And that's because um, the earth is most fertile with the full moon. So traditionally women who cycled uh, with ovulating at the full moon and menstruating in the dark moon or the new moon, however you want to call it, um, were the women whose lives were traditionally focused on home and hearth, and you know, rearing, birthing and rearing children, taking care of a, a household. And the red moon cycle, which is the opposite, getting your period with the full moon and ovulating with the dark moon, is considered the cycle of um, the witch, the healer woman, the medicine woman, a woman who is non-traditional, whose life was not focused on husband and children, but who is actually out there doing healing work for the community, whose life was kind of focused on a bigger pers bigger picture perspective, like community and maybe even her own healing. So um, a real evolutionary process. Uh, and so now what I've found over the years, and as a, you know, personally, I cycled for many, many years, mostly with the red moon. So getting my period with the full moon, and I found over the years, as I've brought this work into the world, that so many women who are more drawn towards healing modalities, who are sort of out there in the world, um, spreading different messages, their leaders, uh, feminine leaders, a lot of them will cycle with a red moon cycle. So getting your period with the full moon. And does that mean that you can't get pregnant and you can't be a mother? Absolutely not. Um, and a lot of my clients have successfully conceived on a red moon cycle and their cycle did not shift. And a lot of my clients also had cycles that went from red moon to white moon as they did the program. And then as soon as their period came back after pregnancy or after childbirth, it went straight back to a red moon cycle. So Interesting. now, right. So it's not like you have to have a white moon cycle to be a mother. And if you have a red moon cycle, it means you'll never be a mother. No, it doesn't work that way. Obviously, like just scientifically and rationally, that doesn't make any sense. But I think of, I look at the moon as sort of like a symbol for where you are in your life, what you're focused on in your own personal journey. 
and it is often an accurate representation of what's going on sort of energetically, emotionally, psychologically for a woman. And then we did further research and found like there was a lot of women say, yeah, but I don't cycle with either of those. I'm in between. So then we looked further and kind of developed our own map around what it means to menstruate with the crescent moon. So a waxing moon and what it means to menstruate with a waning moon. So we call that the pink moon cycle and the purple moon cycle. And often a woman who's on a pink moon cycle, uh, often that woman is younger. She's uh, sort of just coming into womanhood. She's learning about what that means for herself. She might be like stepping into something that's bigger than what she's been currently focused on or doing in her life. And it's like a bold um, step forward in her life in some particular way. So that's akin to the energy of the maiden. So the archetype of the maiden energy. Uh, whereas the red moon cycle is more the archetype of the enchantress or the witch energy. And the white moon cycle is more uh, aligned with the archetype of the mother. And then the purple moon uh, sorry, I made a mistake. The red moon cycle is more in alignment with the energy of the crone. So the, if you think about, you know, who, what that archetype was, if there was like a medicine woman in a community, a traditional community, it's usually this sage old woman who's lived through a lot of life and has a lot of wisdom. So I talk, I think of that archetype more as the wise woman. Um, so that's more aligned with, with the red moon cycle. And then the purple moon cycle is more often women who are in their 40s, who are sort of transitioning into more of a sense of like um, turning inwards in their lives, less outward focus, um, a sense of coming into their own quiet power. And that archetype I think of as the enchantress energy. Um, and it's more of a internal transformation as opposed to the pink moon cycle, which is more really outwardly focused um, and like bringing something out into the world that's an expression of you. Whereas the purple moon cycle is kind of more of a rebirthing of yourself and a quieting, a more internal experience and, and coming into a, a more quiet internal power in how you're going to show up in the world. That's a great explanation. Thank you for sharing all of that so fully. Yeah, I had heard of white and red moon, but had not heard of like the pink and purple. So that's, that's really interesting in the different phases of life and how that affects our cycles. And that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think there are probably some people listening to this traditionally very sciencey podcast and going, oh, come on, cycling with the moon? That's kind of wooey. But you know, when you think about it, throughout history, we have been heavily influenced by by what's going on in like in nature and in the environment. And if you think about how the menstrual cycle is regulated, like why is it an average of 28 days? Well, that's obviously based on circadian rhythm. It has to be based on something. All of the cycles in like on earth, these different, you know, seasons and things that we're talking about, they're all based on like how the energy of the earth interacts with like sun and moon. And so when you think about circadian rhythm, 
and you think about the moon and you think about how that impacts something like, oh, I don't know, melatonin in your body, like a really obvious hormone that's clearly responsible for circadian rhythm. We've seen actual research about how important like melatonin can be for the health of the menstrual cycle and that for some women for whom it's low, even supplementing with that can have a huge impact on the health of the menstrual cycle and on egg quality. Then it starts to like click and make a little bit more sense about how this could be also scientifically very sound as opposed to like just this sort of wooey energetic type of discussion. So I just wanted to bring that up for people that might be listening going, I don't get it. You know, I don't get how the, the moon is such a big deal. And I, yeah, I think there have definitely been a lot of people, you know, trying to debunk some of that more energetic stuff, but I definitely don't think that we should write that off. There's a, there's a scientific basis for it. It's, I mean, just to add in a little bit, when I first came upon this information, it was actually through Dr. Christian Northrup's book, Women's yep. Bodies, Women's Wisdom. And she cites some interesting case studies uh, around uh, those health professionals who took into account a woman's menstrual cycle and they were accurately able to predict based on what the woman shared, where exactly they were in their cycle from a psychological profile. Wow. So there's a, a real correlation. I mean, obviously there isn't research necessarily that backs this up because someone would have to invest in that research. But in, in this kind of particular study um, that this particular health professional did, I think it was a psychologist, that there is clearly a... Uh, a correlation between the hormonal fluctuation in the body and the psychological response that a woman is having. So I find that personally fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you were, what you're saying just now, and you also mentioned this a little bit earlier, like learning about the different phases of our cycle and how we feel differently during those different phases of our cycles. And I think we've been taught culturally that that's not acceptable, you know, that we are supposed to be more like men. Um, and that's an equality thing to some degree, but it is something that I feel like discounts that unique femininity <laughs> and that energy that we bring to our fertility that is really important for us not to like squash and pretend isn't there, but something to actually embrace and something that, that gives us power and uniqueness as women, not something that we should ignore or, you know, try to lock away somewhere so that we can be more like men. Yeah, I agree completely. And I can never remember where I read this, but I found it really impactful for me We've already earned our place in the boardroom and, and maybe we did get there through um, showing up more as men, but we're there now. So I think it's time we show up as women, which is not men, which is women and yeah. feel empowered as feminine beings, not as uh, people who are trying to um, mimic or be like something that they're not. So it doesn't mean you're less than, you're actually much more than, and ideally you want to embrace that, all of that, and not try to deny or suppress it. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about earning our places in the boardroom, I mean, you came from more of a corporate type of career prior to this. I don't know if I mentioned this before we got on the interview, uh, but my job was actually in corporate finance before oh, I got wow. into functional nutrition. And so I went to business school. I started experiencing a lot of health issues more than I had previously during that time. And that was really what spurred me into more natural healthcare because I couldn't find answers through my, for myself through conventional means. And so then it, this has, this whole journey has brought me here to like really exploring more of like what makes us unique 
uniquely female and why it's so important to embrace that on the fertility journey and, and stop trying to lock it away because it is important and something for us to, to recognize just how powerful we are. And I think that also helps heal that relationship underlying with our bodies that we were talking about earlier. You know, this idea that our menstrual cycles are something to be feared or hated or, you know, just not acknowledged in the way that they should be because it's something we've always tried to like hide from men. You know, it was like that shameful thing when you're um, in middle school and you're worried that all the boys are going to make fun of you because they saw you carry a tampon or something to the bathroom. I think it, it is really powerful to embrace that and important for that healing, the connection and self-love for your body. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So tell listeners what you would like them to take away from this interview. What are some of your closing thoughts for women who might be struggling on this journey? Yeah, well, I feel like you really said it well just now. Um, that there's so much room for self-love and often that can be kind of a nebulous concept like what the hell does that mean I'm supposed to love myself and I feel like you know it's really clear to me that if you feel a sense of shame disdain distrust disgust um, that that's a really good starting point um, for turning that into some sense of uh, warmth and positivity and embrace uh, the parts of ourselves that maybe we just weren't taught how to um, how to embrace, how to to take care of, how to feel good about, and and I think all of us can relate. Like I know I certainly remember, you know, doing everything possible to hide the pad, you know, going to the bathroom. And then they used to come in those stupid, you know, bright colored packaging, right? Like it almost was, looked like candy or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these ways that we were taught to sh be shameful uh, about ourselves. And I think there's such a huge reclaiming that comes as we, um, we mature and we graduate into womanhood all these girlhood um inadequacies that we grew up with and we just accepted as a normal part of being a girl in our culture and i feel like as women now it's our i mean it's our birthright but it's also i think our um what we need to do is to take responsibility for those inherited um, prejudices and decide what we're gonna keep and what we wanna let go of in our own process of recovering uh, and healing our relationship with the female body and with the, the, I, the notion of femininity in general. Very well said, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So tell listeners where they can connect with you and where they can learn more. Sure. Thanks for asking, Kristen. So I'm in Canada. So the website is yogagoddess.ca. And um, you can also find me on Facebook. We have a support circle called the Yoga Goddess Support Circle. We have over 4,000 members that you're most welcome to join. And you can also find me on Instagram at yogagoddesszh 
or ZH for you Americans. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will link to the website and social media and the Moon Goddess program that we talked about during the interview in the show notes for this episode, which can be accessed through the link in this week's episode description. Thank you so much, Sara, for joining me. This was a really informative interview, and I think a lot of women probably needed this message today. So thank you for being here to share that. You're so welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.